As a church community, uh, if you're just joining us, we have launched this year with the theme of being rooted. Everyone say rooted. Uh, thank you, Pastor Mike. All right. So we've been looking around the idea of deep rootedness throughout the scripture the last several weeks. And today, we land Hebrews chapter 10. We'll go verse 19 to 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. The book of Hebrews, if you have uh, not, never read it before, is a comprehensive sermon. It's actually a really long sermon, 12 chapters of a sermon. Can you imagine sitting through a uh, book of Hebrews being preached to you? It's a sermon for uh, Jewish Christians. Written by, we don't know the true author of the book of Hebrews. There are different assumptions about who the author is. Some people think it's Paul. Some people think it's someone else. But what's important is it's a sermon that centers on overarching theme of Jesus as the ultimate and final revelation of who God is. And to the Jewish audience, it was very important that this reminder continues to hit home because they were so greatly reliant on their heritage, their identity in the Mosaic law and being people of Moses. And, and the author of Hebrews says, well, before you, you consider all of these things, remember, even though, yes, you have a rich Jewish heritage and you have this history, the most important thing is who Christ is. It is Christ, the full revelation of who God is. And in chapter 10, uh, it's towards the end of the sermon, returns to the main theme of the book, which is going to be our passage today. And really, it's talking about the significance of Jesus' sacrifice. Right here, the author, whoever the author is, passionately urges believers at the time not to overlook, overlook the transformative power that is only possible through Jesus. And encouraging everyone, as he comes to the end of the sermon, to firmly anchor, or the word root, their faith, in Jesus and nothing else. No Mosaic law, not Moses, not angels, but who Jesus is. So we're going to be talking about, and also at the end of the chapter, end of the book, he's talking about importance of community. So today is really about not just being rooted in Christ, but also rooted in community. Rooted in community. So let's read together Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. Let me read for us. Chapter 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, talking about Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So three things about our text. One, holding fast. Two, gathering together. And three, anchoring confidence. So first, holding fast. Verse 23, 
The author, as he comes to the end of the sermon, says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The, wo- the word here, to hold fast, if you circle that word, in Greek means word katako. Katako, and it conveys an idea of someone clinging onto something tenaciously, not casually. Not, not semi-formally, but really tenaciously as if their very life depended on it. That's the idea of kateko. And the author says, hold on tenaciously to the confession of very hope we have received. What's the confession of hope? It's all the things that the author has been talking about from chapters 1 to chapters 10, which is the redemptive work of Christ what Christ has done in order to rescue them from their situation to now. But this is more than mere verbal acknowledgement of what Christ has done. The author is talking about more than just mere acknowledgement of what what Christ has done. It's really talking about the redemptive work of Christ. Right? It is really a commitment to stand firm in the face of all the challenges and uncertainties. These Jewish Christians at the time of the letter, they were facing numerous challenges to remain remain faithful to Christ. There was severe persecution from both Jewish authorities, but also Roman, Roman society. The pressure to conform. Some of the members were grappling with spiritual drift or the doubt. Many wanted to return to Judaism. For many of them, Judaism felt like home. And now coming away from Judaism to saying, well, Jesus is now the truth and the life and the way, that seemed very foreign to them. And they were struggling with all of these external issues. And it's in, the backdrop, in this backdrop, the author says, hold on to the hope. Do not drift away. Do not return to your old ways. And this call, many, many years that were removed from the original context, remains true to us. In the scripture, this is also for us. We are called also to cling on to the hope of Christ. Yet the ability to cling tenaciously involves you and I having a deeper understanding of the object of our faith. It requires more than a superficial knowledge. It would be wise for us to know what we are confessing. As Christians, many of of us that grew up in the church, you know what's really interesting is, what's really interesting for me is, Many people that grew up in the church, 20, 30 years, you ask him, hey, what is the gospel? When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? They're very unclear about what the gospel is. That's a very common thing. It makes us very nervous when we think about that. Um, but it is, it is, this is such an important thing for us. Wouldn't it be wise for us to really know what we are confessing? Not mere songs, not mere a passage in the Bible, our favorite verse, Jeremiah 29. But really, what does it mean for us to truly believe? Because in a world of many conflicting beliefs, ideologies and values, right? When we go to work, when we're home, when we're engaging the media and all these things, there are all these ideologies and ideas and different beliefs that seem right, that seems good. But unless we know what we truly believe, what we stand for, it is going to be nearly impossible to have a strong grasp on what it means to be a Christian. And, and so the author says, this, this is what we need. 
We need people that have deep knowledge of what they believe. And this was not just the author's argument in Hebrews chapter 10, but this is Jesus' desire. John 4, in an encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. We know this story very well. Jesus tells her in this conversation, the woman asks about, hey, where do we worship? Where do Jews worship? We Samaritans worship here. Where do Jews worship? And Jesus tells her in that conversation, true worship will transcend mere external rituals. You're talking about rituals. But the true worshiper will engage with the Father both in spirit and in truth. Again, which involves a sincere connection with God's spirit and aligning the, the, with the truth of his nature. So part of growing deeper in grace, because this is what we're talking about in 2024, will call you and I to grow deeper in our understanding of what we believe. Of just, and, and that cannot just be accomplished during Sunday sermon. Right? There's got to be an intentional commitment for you and I to go beyond just Sunday sermon. In fact, Sunday sermon uh, is, has its role. Right? The preaching has its role. But preaching cannot help you mature in the way a Bible study can or your personal study through a book of the Bible can. So there's all these ways that we can actually grow and we can't just rely on Sunday sermon to do that. But I think in, in modern sort of church culture, so much of emphasis on Sunday sermon. Right? We rely just on, like all of you guys, many of you guys, are heavily reliant on my study of the scripture, which is, which is my calling, my burden to carry, but also that's very limited. There's so many wonderful resources that God has given us. And think about it. You spend so much time ever since you, know, you came to faith. You spend so much time in church participating in so many different things, yet when someone asks you, what is the gospel? What is the doctrine of Trinity? You'd be like, I don't know. Ask Pastor Sangmin. He might know. I don't even know if he knows, <laughs> right? So part of growing deeper in grace will call you and I to intentionally study Scripture outside of Sunday. That's really important. Um, this is what Piper says, pa- Pastor John Piper He says, the theological mind serves a critical purpose. It throws logs into the furnace of affection for Christ. So Pastor Piper says, right, when we feel apathetic towards God, maybe we feel numb towards God, he says one of the ways you can actually cultivate this hunger and this desire is to to study the word. Not just read the word, not just one chapter a day, but really get into the word. Get into the meat of what the scripture is trying to teach us. See, purposeful theological study is not just for pastors. It's not just for elders, but it's for everyone. And when they're motivated by love for God, it becomes a catalyst for deepening our affection for him. There's something you can do about your apathetic heart towards God. Study the Word. Use resources out there. Wonderful resources out there. Romans 12.2. Apostle Paul urges believers not to conform to the world, but what? To undergo a transformative process. But how do you do that? How do you go through, how do you train your mind to go through this transformative process where you're not conforming to patterns and ideas of this world 
He says, by renewing your mind, by discerning God's will, discovering what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do you feel confused? Do you feel a little lost? Do you feel like, I don't know what to do about this decision? Well, Paul says, renew your mind by going to the scripture, going to the source. And this is, this is true not only in our relationship with God, this idea of knowing somebody more and growing our affection. It is true with our relationship with God, but also true of all of our relationships. When you think about all of the wonderful relationships that you have in your life. For me, 13 years ago, it's already been 13 years, I first met Lois. Lois is my wife. Um, and I just thought she was just so cool and very attractive. I mean, just Really, I was like, wow, she's really pretty, and she's really cool. I've never met a Korean-American girl with a Korean-Aussie girl with an Aussie accent. I was like, wow, I'm in, right? Uh, but at the time, right, first, like, say, a year of me trying to pursue Lois and Lois rejecting me over and over again, right, this whole series, right, my affection was what? My affection for her was, was sincere, but it was deeply superficial. At best, it was like my idea of who this Korean-Aussie girl is, right? But, at, but over the past 12 years, as we shared one roof and raised two girls together and traveled, ate together, shared our vision and, 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 and fought together and, and went through all of these things, different seasons of life, my affection for Lois has transformed. I can like see myself like my affection has deepened. I hope she says the same thing about me, but for me, at least for me, my affection for her has deepened because now I know what excites her. Now I know what, what, what gives her joy, what, what um, gives her this passion and, and what wakes her. She has this like facial expression where she gets really excited about something. And I, I know Lois now not just in like how, she, how her vibe, but now in truth, her spirit in truth. I know her and my affection has grown. And, and so the greater we know of someone, right, like your spouse or your children, right? My relationship with my second daughter, Eleanor, has transformed vastly because she can actually talk. She's become this little human with expression and ideas. And she says no and yes and those things. I'm like, wow, sometimes I hate it, but I love, for the most part, I'm like, this is amazing. She's like, she's real, right? I can't, she's, she's, gonna, she's not going to say yes to everything now. The more I know of someone, the greater my affection grows. And I really believe God gave us these relationships in our lives as an example of our relationship with God. It talks about marriage. Marriage is a model between God and but Jesus and us. And, and, and so, so really, the, the call to hold tenaciously to the very hope involves you and I being intentional about our time in the Word. Understanding beyond just Sunday. Second, gather together. Gather together. Verse 24, 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. The author at the end of his sermon reminds struggling Jewish Christians that faith is not to be lived alone. It's not simply my walk, my faith, my doctrine, but faith consistently with the rest of the scripture is to live out in community. In fact, verse 24, we are encouraged, even commanded, to stir one another. The word 
Parox Usman. Parox Usman literally means to provoke. Provoke one another towards love and good deeds. Notice the challenge that the author gives here is not merely encourage each other passively, but to actively stir, spur, and again, provoke. It's an active call, command to say, not just like, hey, be nice to each other. It's like, hey, challenge one another to love and good deeds. And challenging one another may make us uncomfortable, may cause us to have courage. Someone's got to start that kind of relationship here. And when I think about this idea of provoke, my second year in Korea, this is like, I don't even know how long I've been here, like 15 years ago, um, I was working out at the gym, and there, I have all these gym stories. I know I'm not buff, but I have all these gym stories. Um, and I met this Korean-American uh, bodybuilder, professional bodybuilder. He's like on YouTube as well, and I, I've been talking to him and stuff, but now he's like on YouTube. But this was like 15 years ago, Korean-American guy, and he's like, fifth, I think at that time he was like in his 40s. I was in my 30s. And he was... Um, Looking for different, like bodybuilders in Korea, they need different source of income. So at the gym, he was looking for people to train. I wasn't really interested, but then I didn't want to say no to this guy because I don't know, this guy looks scary. I was okay, let me, let me sign up, right? Three months. He's like, I'll give you, I'll give you a discount, right? I'm Christian, you're, you're seminary student, I'll give you a discount, right? So I started working out with this guy. Um, if you ever worked out with a trainer, like I, I think Korean trainers are, are rather nice. When I see Korean trainers train, I'm like, oh, they're pretty. They're pretty, like, chill. They're, they're easygoing, right? But this guy was Korean-American, right? I'm in my 30s, in his 40s. He's a professional body. He's, like, yoked everywhere, right? Everywhere. Uh, he was doing leg press, and he told, me to, he told me to sit on a, like, leg press machine with the weight. Like, this is, this is the type of guy, right? And I remember working out one of the chest days. We're benching, like, day, like day two. And he's like, yeah, let's, let's just warm up. I'm like, okay, cool. It's like five sets of, like, I, it was like 185. I'm like, five sets, okay. I'm thinking like five sets of maybe eight. I could do eight five times. It's like, no, that, you do 15 each set. I'm like, 15 each set. By third set, I was like, I'm done. Like, literally, I'm not pushing. He's just pulling. You know when you spot somebody, you're just pulling? He was literally just like, I was just like working him out. I, he wasn't working me out. I was working him out, right? And I, was, and, and I could not believe, right, just how much belief he had He had you know, belief in me. I was like, there's no way I could do, you know, five sets of 15 or 185, dude. Barely I could do five, right? But he never let me settle. Like for those, those three months, I got jacked because he never let me settle. He had this tremendous belief, severely overestimating belief in me. But that's the type of spur, spurring each other that I see in the text. The idea of like a trainer who's not, really focused on being nice to its client, but being a professional, saying, okay, I believe you can do this. Let me actually spur you on. And I believe that's the idea when it comes to our spiritual journey and on one another. Uh, and, and in that same way, we are called to persistently encourage one another to love and good deeds. Deepening our roots in Christ is a community effort. It's very clear throughout the scripture when God calls People, he calls group of people, not just one individual. And scripture says, do not give up meeting together. We cannot do this alone. Verse 25, not giving up meeting together, right? A study revealed that 95% of individuals who initiated a weight loss program 
with friends successfully completed it. 95%. Studies have demonstrated that individuals exercising with a more capable partner, right, my story, experienced a 24% increase in their workout. Right? So, so really, it's very clear, not just in our spiritual walk, but it's even the way we work out and the way we carry out things in our lives. When we do it together, it's, it's much easier. Um, but committing to a local church, committing to a small group, committing to making a greater commitment, it's definitely not easy. When you think about committing to a local church 2024, I think it's become far more challenging than in the past year. I think post-COVID, committing to a church has become somewhat like online dating. I didn't do online dating. I, I, I somehow survived the online. I met Lois and online dating happened after. But when I, I have a lot of single friends. Many of my guy friends are still single and still looking and still on the, on the apps. In the online dating world, there's a common misconception because I talk to my friends who are like, they want, they want to get married, they're always dating, but somehow it's, it's not working out. So I've, I talk to these guys, and there's a common misconception I've noticed with some of my, as I've surveyed some of my friends, and it's the abundance of choices or the illusion of choices. People believe that a perfect match is just a one click away. If I could just endure one more day of these terrible guys or these weird per- people, I could find that one perfect person. The endless number of profiles at one's fingertip creates an illusion of endless possibilities. Anyone? Raise your I'm kidding. Don't raise your hand. Leading many to assume they can find someone tailor-made for them. Christian, non-smoker, conservative, progressive, whatever your desire is. Like six foot two, five foot 11, you might set up a five foot six, whatever you desire. And there's just too many choices resulting in decision fatigue and dissatisfaction. I have friends that come to Korea for like two weeks and they're on like six dates. How do you go on six dates? How do you afford these dates? But they do that. There's so many. And I'm like, so they come back. I'm like, did you like that person? Yeah. I was like, great. But he's like, I'm going out again tonight with another person. I'm like, you go with another person? And then, and then I talked two weeks later. I, I thought you liked that person. Yeah, I'm talking to that person. I'm like, okay, good. Is it working? I'm like, but I'm talking to this person and this person. I'm just like, did you tell the person about the person you're talking to? They're like, no, we don't talk about that. This is actually, it's a, com- I was like, different worlds. And I, I think when it comes to, choosing a community, committing to a local body, in similar way, it's become like online dating. This is how we approach many things in life. Like our generation, this is how we approach many things in life, including local church. Just like there is no perfect match, there is no perfect church. Let me just tell you, there is no perfect church. Because why? It involves broken people like you and I. Yet when we're called to one another to not giving up, to meeting together, right, there is this beautiful call, and there is this purpose behind it. But I'm telling you, you might love our church for like a week or two weeks, but there will be a time where I'll say something or someone else will say something, and you're like, that's not a church for me. I'm going to go look for another church. I know people that are like committed to like several different YouTube channels and several different churches, but they're not, they're not committed to one. That's very, I feel like that's very common. 
In fact, when people check out churches now, it's like YouTube first, YouTube second week, YouTube third week, and then maybe show up, and then it's just this whole process that people are explaining to me what they do as they look for a church. You know what I really appreciate about one of our newcomers, like, I think like a month ago, this, this guy came in, he's like, you know what? I, I just go to one church, that's my church. And I'm like, who are you? Like, where are you from? How do you know we're not a cult, right? Like, like you know, but that was, that was such a refreshing thing to say. I, I, I really believe God led me to the church. This is my church. As long as God has me here, I'm like, wow, that's so refreshing. That's so countercultural to like what most people do now. There's no perfect church. And friends, the beauty of Christian community, every Christian community lies not in its perfection, but in its collective pursuit of grace, forgiveness, and redemption despite our brokenness. Let me repeat myself. The beauty of every Christian community lies not in its perfection or our preference or what we think is good for us, but in its collective pursuit of grace, Forgiveness, redemption, despite our brokenness. And we cannot do that just on Sundays when we're just saying hello to one another. We need to get deeper into the lives of one another to be able to experience grace, forgiveness, redemption. None of these things just happen because we say hi to each other every week for, I mean, how many weeks? In a world where individualism and self-focus often prevail, we are once again challenged to look beyond ourselves when it comes to this idea of, of, of living out our Christian faith. Verse 19 and 20, I mean, look at verse 19 and 20. Look at how the author starts his argument in our passage. Therefore, since we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since We have a great priest over the house of God. Therefore, do not give up meeting with one another. The author begins this section with a reminder of what Christ has accomplished for us first and foremost. And it's by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, Jesus has opened the way through his own flesh. You know what this means? Every Christian community, including ours, finds its ultimate embodiment in the profound narrative of the gospel. Christ, who first came for us as one of us, because Jesus approached us imperfect, broken people to to engage with us, we're able to have this new life, and therefore, we ought to engage one another in forgiveness in loving one another, in redemptive nature of each other. This is, Jesus gives us this amazing example of face-to-face ministry. His physical presence among us was not mere symbolic idea. The gospel writers continue to write that we have held his face, we have seen, we have been seen by him, we have touched his hands. So when we come together as a community of believers, we're not merely engaging in communal experience or some kind of tradition that we are continuing because many of us grew up in the church, but we are emulating Christ's example. So every time we gather, every time we gather together, it is a sacred act that resonates with the very heart of the gospel. Let me repeat myself. 
every time we gather, it becomes sacred because it is what? It is act that resonates with the very heart of the gospel. But it's not easy. Like I said, it's not easy. Committing ourselves to a local church will require a deep sense of humility and willingness. A willingness to navigate the, the challenges of human relationships. Again, no perfect church. It involves both giving and receiving. Where we learn to yield to one another in pursuit of unity under Christ. People within the church who grapple with personal struggles. We're not going to like everything we do in this community. We're not going to like everyone in this community. It's, it's the, this, is the, this is the reality of human relationships. There'll be disagreements, imperfections. Everyone brings their baggages and their flaws and their struggles to the table. Perhaps some of you had a very painful experience with a formal church or formal leader. And you're just, you just must have enough courage to come back to church. I know there's some of you guys here that are like that. So how can we have any sense of confidence? How can we have any sense of hope with that looming over our heads? Some of us had really painful experiences with church. I've had painful experiences with church. Like many, many painful experiences, both as a child but now as an adult, as I planted our own church, many painful experiences. If you were here from the beginning, you would know all the things that we, different people have endured to be here. How can we have any confidence that things like that won't happen? It will happen. But I, I believe the third and final point is anchoring confidence. How can we have any confidence? Verse 23, to hold fast to their confession of hope in Christ, here's the key. In the context of Hebrews, whenever the idea of hope comes to service, like our passage in verse 23, it is speaking about the objective content of hope rather than the act of hoping. It's who we are hoping in that matters, not how well we can manage to hope. It's not, on, it's not on whether we can weather the storms and remain faithful, but the focus every time the hope comes up in this context, every time the hope comes up, it is about what? It is focused on the faithfulness of the one we are hoping in, no matter the circumstance. See, through different experiences of life and church community, our faith will be tested. It will be challenged. It will be shaken. We will not always be able to hold tenacious without wavering. Yet we can rest assured because the foundation of our hope is not rooted in our ability to hope, but in the one who holds us together. This gathering, again, is sacred, not because we are fantastic people without any challenges or troubles, it is sacred because of the one who holds us together, right? He's the one who holds us together, and he is without blemish. And is that Jesus is continuing the wonderful work which he has started. The hope that we have is that Jesus is continuing to carry us as one community. The redemptive story that he's begun in each of our lives, how he weaves together in this beautiful tapestry of life, he's carrying us through. Until he calls us home. The beauty of every Christian gathering, including ours, is that Jesus is continuing the, the work that he has started. 
the one who took our shame, our sin, our failure, made a payment for us, now continues to restore, renew, and repurpose you and I for the Father's glory together. Verse 20, 22, by the new living way Jesus has opened for, for us through, through the curtain. Let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance with faith, our hearts sprinkled clean, our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 22, 21, 20, 20, 21, 22. This is not talking about us. This is not our own doing. It's Jesus who has washed us clean. It's only through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross we have been made clean. And the author of Hebrews, what he's saying is, because you place your hope in that reality of what Christ has done for you in the gospel, we can cling on to that. We just announced new community group, right? And I've saved this sermon for the community group launch. We are starting a new community group. And it's very intentional that I've spoken on this because I really do believe it is a wonderful opportunity for you to be able to get connected beyond Sunday. Community groups, we talked about it. They're available. Uh, they're not limited to, like each group is not limited to family and singles. They're open, right? We, have, we do have limited spots, but I think we could cover uh, people that are in our community. Uh, and I really encourage you, if you consider this church your home, really want to encourage you to join a community group. We're offering a Zoom option. Right? Because we really want, right? If you can't be here physically, we want to make it possible for everyone. So there's a Zoom option available as well. The information, I won't make the announcement again. It's available on our website. But I really encourage you guys. There's a wonderful place where we can study the Bible together. Or we can challenge one another. We can pray for one another. We can hang out, grab pizza, go eat Mexican food. All those things. Work out together. All those things. But it doesn't happen unless we make that step to say, you know what? I'm in. I want to commit myself. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about intentionality. We've been talking about habits, right? Coming, gathering together, joining a community group, making yourself vulnerable and being able to share. That's also a habit that we and I, you and I need to create in order to grow deeper. And that, we need people there that, that have courage to be able to begin that culture. That doesn't just happen with pastors and leaders sharing. We need people outside of leadership to say, yeah, I want to join a community group and I want to share. I want to be vulnerable. I want to be open. All right? So I want to really encourage you. Uh, encourage you to join a group, all right? Let's, let's spend some time praying together. Um, first prayer is Let's ask God. God, we want Hebrews 10 to be our reality. Let's ask God to deepen our understanding of his community. The beauty of our gathering, which is rooted in the flawless one, right? Jesus Christ who took on, on our shame and made a payment for us. Let's ask Jesus, show us your heart for your community. The, the love, the compassion you have for your community, that this is your body. And give us greater joy and affection for this community. Let's pray together. Jesus, you died for this body. And Lord, all the challenges and all the 
different things, other distractions. I just pray that you would open our eyes to see how much you love each person in this body. And Lord, help us God, to take up our call to be obedient to what you've called us to, what you're teaching us to be obedient to your truth, to love this community, love our community group, love our leaders, God, love our members, God. To provoke one another, to provoke one another because we care, because we love, because it is your word, it is your encouragement. Can we also pray for our community groups? Um, Lord has given us these wonderful groups. Let's pray for the leaders, pray for the members and those that will be joining that God will continue to bless these community groups, a place where people can be seen, people can be heard, the word of God can be chewed and, 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 and learned. We just pray for special favor over each group. If you can remember your leaders, can we pray for them that God would continue to challenge them, continue to watch over them as they lead these groups? Let's take a moment to pray for community groups. We thank you, God, for all the group leaders in our community. Thank you for Charles and Evan and Mario and now Chinsor. Thank you, God, for just our group continue to foster up a greater sense of who you are, God. Lord, teach us what it means to provoke one another. Teach us what it means to really be your hands and feet in these places. Uh, to love and good deeds. To love and good deeds. Not simple entertainment, not simple fellowship, but Lord, to be outreaching to the source of where we are. Thank you, Jesus. hunger for your word, God, in each of our community. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My goodness. Father, we pray over our community truth of your word we want Hebrews 10 to be our reality that this gathering this community uh, is a place where we provoke one another in love and good deeds and through our commitment to one another that you would carry us beyond the walls of our church to reach those that are in need those that are waiting to hear from you Help us to be your hands and feet. But Lord, in order for us to do that, we need to learn to love one another. We need to learn to forgive one another. We need to learn to walk with one another, to humble ourselves to one another. Lord, would you, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continue to give us hunger not only for your word, but hunger for community. The realization that we cannot 
live out our lives on our own, that we cannot figure out our marriage on our own, we cannot figure out our singlehood on our own, parenting on our own, that we need this whole, whole community with one another. And Lord, help us to live incarnationally, God, to know that the very embodiment of every community is the story of the gospel, that Jesus, you came to us. Help us, God, to live in that reality of what it means to go, what it means to open ourselves up. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for the reminder. In Jesus' name we pray.